0: What a great truth. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter one, the very first Psalm. And we'll begin there in just a moment. I don't know if you watch uh, sci-fi movies. I'm not really a sci-fi fan myself, but, uh, but all of us will be familiar with this uh, feature that you often find in these science fiction movies when one spaceship will capture another spaceship in a tractor beam. Have you ever heard of that? And so there's some energy beam that comes out of one spaceship and it, it surrounds another smaller spaceship and that spaceship is pulled into the first spaceship. It is an irresistible force. It's just tugged right in somehow uh, to the first or to the enemy spaceship. I think this even happened in Star Wars a couple of times and so you're familiar with a tractor beam. Well, temptation is often like a tractor beam, right? It's, it's as if this energy uh, surrounds us and just pulls us into some temptation, especially sometimes a persistent temptation, a, a persistent sin that we struggle with. And we just feel ourselves pulled into this temptation that we, we would rather avoid. Even the Apostle Paul wrote about being pulled by the tractor beam of temptation. In Romans chapter seven, he said this, for the desire to do what is good is within me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Paul said he often finds himself in that tractor beam of temptation just pulling him into sin. And so we've taken some, some weeks this, this uh, fall to answer the question, how can we escape? from that tractor beam of temptation? How can we overcome some persistent sins? All of us have things in our lives that we've struggled with for a long time, things that we have prayed about, things that we have made promises about, but things that remain, persistent sins. And so how can we overcome? What does the Bible say we should do to overcome these persistent sins? And so we're taking these six weeks and we're searching the Scripture to find that important answer. In fact, next to coming to know Christ as your Savior, that's the most important thing you can discover in Scripture, how to put your faith in Christ, how to be adopted into His family, how to have your sins forgiven. But next to that, the most important thing we should learn in Scripture is that there is a way our sins, our persistent sins how we can overcome those things, and so that has been our focus. Now, this is week three, so I'll catch you up in case you weren't here the previous weeks or you don't remember. We first learned that we are dead to sin. Romans chapter 6 says that not only has Christ destroyed the penalty of sin for us, But if we're connected with the death of Christ and all Christians are, then Christ has also destroyed the authority of sin in our lives. And so I am not uh, going to be punished for my sin. Christ was punished for me, but also I am no longer under the authority of sin. I can say no. When Jesus died on the cross, he destroyed the authority of sin. Well, the second thing we learned is that though the authority of sin has been destroyed, sin can still reign in my life if I allow it. Romans 6.12 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, telling us that if we're not careful, though sin its authority has been destroyed, it can still boss us around. It can still reign in our lives if we will allow it to sit upon the throne, we must be very careful. And then we learned last week that the way to get sin off the throne in our lives is to embrace some God-prescribed, Holy Spirit-empowered habits, and through those habits, We will have the momentum of change, that we will change. We will overcome persistent sins, not because we've made an all of a sudden decision, not because we've dramatically stood up and said, I will never do that again, but because we engage in these habits that the Bible describes for us, that the Holy Spirit empowers. And through these habits, little bit by little bit, our lives are changed. So how do we partner with the Holy Spirit to do these habits? Over the next four weeks, today and three more weeks, we're gonna look at four of these habits. Four things that that the Bible says we should do, four things that the Bible says the Holy Spirit will empower in order to help us overcome persistent sins. So we start today, the first habit is the habit of Bible meditation. Now, you heard many sermons through the years on reading your Bible and meditating on Scripture, but I think sometimes we need a strong reminder because this is an activity that though it has the power to change our lives because of how it helps us partner with the Holy Spirit, it's just not something we do very much. So let me answer some questions about meditation, then we'll get into the how-tos before we close the message today. The first question is... Is meditating on the Word of God really something that'll make a difference when you're struggling with persistent sins? We we said last week that we can't just make these habits up. This can't just be something we read in a book or even something we heard in a sermon. Uh, The Bible says that God will bless certain habits, but only certain habits, habits that are prescribed in Scripture. Where, where the scripture specifically says that these habits will lead to our overcoming persistent sins. So is Bible meditation one of those habits? Well, it is. And I'm going to give you some scripture verses to show you this. Uh, if you go to our website, our church website, or you go to noeldeer.com where we post these the full outline of the sermon, uh, I, I give you a couple of dozen ways to be certain that the Bible says That meditation will will lead to the overcoming of persistent sins. But let me give you the short answer right now. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, what does sanctify mean? Sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we overcome these persistent sins, the process by which the Holy Spirit forms the character of Christ in us, and we have legitimate change in life. So that's what it means to sanctify. So Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Father, sanctify them, change them through what? Through your word, the truth of your word. Jesus says that it is the word of God that is one of the primary tools that the Father uses to bring real change in our lives. Now, let me show you another, another passage. And if you're doing our daily Bible reading that we do together as a church, uh, you read this last week, John 8, verses 31 and 32 It says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, that continue, that means to meditate in God's word. We'll see more about that in a moment. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth. And then what? The truth will set you free. Now free from what? What does the truth set you free from? Well, he goes on a few verses later and he tells us as much. Verse 34 says, Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So he's talking about sin. And then he says two verses later, so if the son sets you free, you really will be free. So here he says that the word of God is a tool to set you free from sin, from persistent sin. I'll give you one more, one more reference. 2 Timothy 3.16, maybe a very familiar verse to you. Let me just read the first part and the last part. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. You see that on the first line. And then you go to the last line, it is profitable for what? For a number of things. Lastly, for training in righteousness. What does it mean, righteousness? Well, in this context, it means right living. It means overcoming righteousness. Uh, persistent sins it doesn't say that it happens all at once it's a training process how do you train for a marathon not just in a morning but it takes a long time so this training in righteousness takes a long time but what is the tool that God uses to train us in righteousness all scripture so meditating upon God's Word the Bible tells us over and over and over is a tool, is a God-prescribed, Holy Spirit-empowered tool, a habit to help us overcome persistent sins. Now, what exactly is this meditating in Scripture? Well, what does it mean to meditate? Well, let me show you this is a common word in Scripture. uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And this is perhaps one of the best verses in all the Old Testament. You ought to jot this down. I think it's in your outline. Maybe you circle it or underline it. This would be a good verse to memorize. Joshua says to the people following the death of Moses, these words, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth for you are to meditate on it day and night so that you will carefully observe everything written in it for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. He says, if you'll meditate on God's word, the result will be, that you will be obedient to God's word, and the result of that will be that you'll prosper in everything. There's a direct connection according to Joshua 1:8, from meditating in God's word to living a, a prosperous, successful Christian life, overcoming persistent sins. Uh, let me give you just one more uh, before we get to our text in Psalm 1. I want you to see this in the New Testament as well. The New Testament doesn't. Ordinarily use the word meditate, uses a number of other words, sometimes uses meditate, but listen to Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, dwell richly upon the word of Christ. We're to meditate on God's word. Now exactly what does that mean? I think the best passage to turn to, to learn about meditation. Uh, Because this is a word that gets really mixed up in our world, in our culture. A lot of of different things. You Google meditation, whatever website pops up, that's not what we're talking about today. So so we need to to give a good definition for meditation. And I think the best place to study this is in Psalms 1, especially verse 2. But let's look at the first three verses together. He says, how happy is the one, or your Bible may say, blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So you're blessed if you don't do those those things. Instead, you see that word, verse two, the first word? Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Now let's look back at verse two because here's a great description of meditation and I want to show you three things from this verse that will help us to really wrap our arms around what we're talking about here. The first thing I want you to see in verse two is the word delight. What does meditation involve? It involves delighting in God's Word. Now, what does it mean to delight? Well, you know the answer to that. It means to cherish something. It means to treasure it. It means to be passionate about something. Uh, Maybe you remember uh, your first love and maybe you know 50 years later maybe like me 25 years later i'm still in my first love but, but you you know what it's like when you when you first fall in love you, you you just can't spend enough time together you just can't talk enough words to one another you just I, I know sometimes i'll do pre-marriage counseling and and i'm talking at the same time they're they're rubbing each other's faces or the tops of each other's heads and i and i just you know hey hey i'm i'm right here you know let's um let's pay attention but but what they're doing is they're They're delighting in each other. You you know what the word means? Maybe it it could be anything you're passionate about. Maybe some of you, you you delight in college football. You got up yesterday morning and you watched sports center and then you watched game day and then you watched three or four games. Maybe you went to a couple of games and and then you you watched it late into the night. You got up this morning, you read all the articles, all the commentary on yesterday's games. You, you, you just love football, and so you delight in that. Maybe you delight in gardening. I just can't imagine. That seems like the worst hobby ever. But you like to go out and get on your knees and put your hands in the dirt and dig stuff up and plant stuff. But things that God has planted, you call weeds and you pull those up. I don't understand it. But some people just delight in gardening. So what he says here is that we should delight in God's word. But let's let's be honest. Oftentimes we just don't. And you've heard a thousand sermons and, and so have I uh, that we ought to read our Bibles that we should delight in God's word. Uh, the Bible says that from beginning to end. That's a, that's a good sermon to preach and it's something we should hear often and, and we have and, and we do. But, but to be honest if oftentimes we just don't delight in God's word. You, you might say, Pastor, if I if I just told you the truth, I'd have to tell you, I, I'm just not motivated enough. I just don't delight enough in God's word for me to spend time. And now you're talking about meditating in God's word. And I may not know exactly what that is, but that sounds like a lot more time even than I'm giving now. I, I, it's just drudgery to me. What do we do if we don't delight in God's word? Well, I could give you several things to do that will help increase your delight in God's word. And then one big thing. So let me walk through some suggestions. Number one, invest enough time in meditating upon God's word. We'll learn how to do that in a moment. But invest enough time that you learn to do it well. Uh, meditating on God's word is not something you're just going to enjoy until you really know how to do it. It's sort of like playing golf. You like, some of you are golfers. The first time somebody goes golfing, it is a miserable experience. You swing at this little ball probably 120 times the first time you go, and, uh, and, 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 and all but maybe one or two swings is just has, has a terrible effect, and you're just miserable. When does go- golf get fun? When you get good at it, or at least better than the guy you're playing with, right? And then, and then once you get good at it, then it's fun. But in the beginning, it's misery. You just get one or two good shots in an entire day. That's enough to get you to go back out, spend another $50 and give up another Saturday. But, uh, but, but until you get good at it, it's no fun. Well, the same thing with reading God's word and meditating upon God's word. We, we, have, to, we have to invest enough time that we get skilled at this and then we will we will delight in it. The second thing is perhaps you could share what you are reading and learning with others. Uh, You add a social component to this. Uh, Almost everything we do now in life Uh, We add some social component. We take a picture of it, or we we put it on social media, or we call somebody and tell them about it. And and God has created us to be social creatures. uh, We're supposed to share things. Maybe what will add delight to your meditating upon God's word is that you share what God teaches you uh, with some people that you know. Number three, have the right tools, the right space, the right schedule to take away the frustration. Of getting started, uh, we, we just have to reduce as much friction as possible. If, if it's if it's hard, if it's a hassle, if well, I don't know where my Bible is, and I don't know where anything is to write with, and and the, I do it at the kitchen table, but there's too much stuff already on the kitchen table. So first, I got to clean this or do this. If if we make it hard, it will be hard. But if we will make it easy, then we'll delight in God's word. Number four. We just need to meditate on God's word. And again, we're getting there. How? What, what exactly does it mean to meditate? But the key is, if if we will truly meditate on God's word, it'll be a delight. If you're just reading God's word, it may or may not be a delight. Just to read it, just to say, well, I'm going to get five chapters in today, and you sit down, and you, just, and you just hammer out five chapters, and you say you've done it, that could be could very well be drudgery and maybe drudgery for the rest of your life. But if we'll learn to meditate on God's word, then we'll have an opportunity to really delight in it. But let me tell you the most important thing. If you just don't delight in God's word, if that's the problem, and I think that probably is the problem for many people, then the number one thing you could do is to pray for God to create a hunger in you. For God's Word. Or pray that God will increase your hunger, your appetite, uh, your taste for, for God's Word. L- listen to what uh, the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 119, 18. He prayed this prayer, open my eyes so that I might contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. David prayed, Oh Lord, give me a heart for, for the word of God. And God did give David a heart and he loved God's word. And I believe it was as much because he prayed for that as anything else. You know, some things in life are an, are an an acquired taste. Uh, take for instance, coffee. Did, Did anybody like coffee the first time they tasted it? No, it is terrible stuff. I'm 51 years old. I still don't like coffee. I'm going to hold out to the end. But some people, they they had it once and they didn't like it, but they had it again and they didn't like it and they didn't like it. And about the 200th time, they decided that they, they liked it. They fooled themselves into thinking that that's something that's pleasant. It is an acquired taste. Well, when it comes to God's word, in some ways, perhaps it's an acquired taste. The more you do it, the more you will delight in it, but it is... It is a conferred taste. It is, it is the appetite for God's word is something that comes from the Lord. And if you'll pray and say, Lord, give me a hunger and a desire for, for your word, then he will. Listen to Psalm one nineteen ten. It says, they speaking of God's words, they are more desirable than gold than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Isn't that a a, a beautiful picture that God's word sweeter than honey and more valuable than gold? We should pray that God will help us to recognize that. I want to do something. This is cheesy, I know, but I've got a bookmark for everybody here. You'll see these on the uh, at all of the exits when you leave in a little while, and it's a stick of honey. I wanted to buy sticks of gold, but uh, our administrator, Jeff, turned down my purchase order. So instead, I, I, I have purchased for you a stick of honey. It's gold colored, okay, will you give me that? And so here's what I want you to do. Let this be your bookmark. If you, if you struggle with delighting in God's word, would you just put this stick of, of gold and honey In your Bible, and when you see it, when you open your Bible and you see that bookmark, would you pray like David prayed? Lord, I know that your word is sweeter than honey and more valuable than gold, but I pray that you convince my heart of that as I'm about to read. And this may be the most important prayer you pray every single day of your life from here to the end. Lord, give me a desire for that sweet honey and that valuable gold of your word. And if you'll pray that every day, I believe you will delight in God's word. So the first part of meditating is simply to delight, delight. I hope you'll pick up one of those bookmarks on the way out. Uh, The second part of meditating that we see here in verse 2 is is just meditating or in your outline, I'm call it reflecting. We need to reflect upon God's word. Uh, Now the word meditate is one of those confusing words because it's been hijacked by our culture. And, And so we need to know what it's not in order to understand what it is. So let me tell you a few things meditating is not. It's not emptying your mind. It's not just thinking about nothing. If you read a modern book on meditation, Eastern meditation, it'll give you steps to take to just empty your mind, have a blank mind. Well, that is not at all what Christian meditation is about. You you should never try to empty your mind. You try to fill your mind with God's word. God's word, as we'll see in a moment, is the central piece to meditation. You can't meditate apart from God's word. So it's not the emptying of the mind, Secondly, it's not seeking to become one with God in the universe. Uh, Again, this is what modern uh, culture teaches us. Eastern religion, Eastern meditation uh, consists of you sitting there and trying to understand how you and God are one. But Christian meditation is you sitting with scripture and realizing that you and God are completely different. He is holy and righteous and you are not. And so it's, it's the opposite of this Eastern meditation. It's not seeking to become one with God or the universe. It's also not imagining. Uh, You even hear some Christians say this, that you should just try to imagine what would God say or what is God like or what would God do in a certain situation apart from God's word. This is not about your imagination. This is a focus upon God's word. If your meditation doesn't involve God's word, if it involves your imagination of what God might say or do or what he might be like apart from what is revealed in God's word, it's not biblical meditation. And then finally, it is not just reading your Bible. And we'll see more about this in a moment. But we often get confused between Bible reading and Bible meditation. This is not Bible reading. Now the Hebrew word for meditation here in verse two is the word I'm going to try to pronounce it, hagah, uh, hagah. Haga. Now that's a poor pronunciation, I'll, I'll admit, because uh, the Hebrews when they would speak, they they would say many things with a guttural pronunciation. You've heard um, you've heard Islam's, uh, you've heard Muslims speak, and and some of the some of the consonants they pronounce. It's just hard for. Most Western people to say because the pronunciation is is in the chest, and so this this haga is a it's a grumble in the chest. It's a guy. I, I, I'm doing a poor job <laughs> of this, but it, here's why that's important. It is an onomatopoeia. Do you know what that is? That's the longest word I know, and I've been waiting 20 years to use that in a sermon so somebody would be impressed. But an, an onomatopoeia is a word that gets its meaning from its sound, from its pronunciation. And so it's interesting. This word is used three different ways in in Hebrew literature. And all of them are tied to that that sound that you make if you say it in the proper way. But it tells us something about what does it really mean when it says to meditate or the, uh, you know, do this thing with with scripture. So let me give you the three ways it's used. First of all, it referred to the act of murmuring or mumbling uh, to oneself. You know how sometimes you hear people, they're reading and they're just, they're just going over it in their mind. They're mumbling, 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 and they're just repeating. They're really trying to understand something. Well, this word was used of that. Somebody, uh, it was used of the activity of saying something over and over to mumble it, to try to wrap your head around it. It refers to that. It also is used to refer to what an animal did when it growled over its food. Isaiah 31.4, and we have the long version on the screen, but it basically says as a lion growls or meditates over its prey, uh, we have a, a puppy dog at our house and we try not to give it bones, but every once in a while it will f- find a bone somehow, but it is, and it's a small dog, but it is impossible to get the bone away from the dog. Uh, the, the dog chews on the bone and growls over the bone and savors every part of the bone and protects the bone. It's, a, it's, a, it's an event when, when he when he's somehow finds, uh, find, finds a bone. And so it's talking about that, how, how you just would growl over, protect, savor something. It's also, interestingly, used uh, to refer to a cow chewing its cud, and, and I don't know a whole lot about how cows digest food, but they eat it and then they uneat it and they eat it again. <laughs> and and they, they, they reach you on eaten food. And, and, and some, some of you, you're farmers and, and cowboys, you know how all that works. Uh, but it makes a noise apparently and it sort of sounds like this word. And so this word is used often of that in Hebrew writing. You should read like a cow is the, is the import of this. So what does all of that mean together? Meditation is so much more than just reading. In fact, there is a Hebrew word for reading, and it is not this word. It's a completely different word. To just read something is not to meditate, but to meditate means, and I wrote a a definition. Let me read it. Meditating on scripture is a slow and repetitive walk through a passage in the Bible where we savor every word and extract every nuance and learn what the word says about the Lord and what it says to and about us. Now, Let me walk through that slowly for a moment. Meditating, first of all, is a focus on scripture. It's not a focus on something else. You can look at the stars and you can meditate about the power and the wonder of God, but only the power and wonder of God as it is described in scripture. If your meditation is is centered on something other than the word of God, it is not biblical meditation. So it's a focus on Scripture, a slow, repetitive walk. It's about looking at every word of Scripture and understanding what it means and how it fits and what it means to us. It's where we savor every word and we try to determine every meaning, where we ask of the Scripture, what does it say about God and what does it say about me and what does it say to me? You know, the Bible often uses uh, this analogy of savoring food to refer, to describe um, uh, meditation. I'll, I'll read to you just a couple of phrases, a couple of verses. Psalm 119, 103 says, how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. David said, when I read God's word, it's like, it's like I'm savoring honey, sweet honey in my, in my mouth. He, he's comparing this meditation with enjoying uh, the sweetness of honey. In Jeremiah Fifteen, sixteen. 16, uh, the prophet says, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. Now he's not talking about going home today and, and eating a few pages out of your Bible, uh, but he's talking about how we ought to savor God's word like we savor food. I, I want to show you a couple of pictures. Uh, they're really pictures of the same thing, just in different forms. Show us that first picture, if you will. So These are uh, ration bars for preppers. I don't know if we have any preppers in the church, but people who think the world is coming to an end, you can purchase these on Amazon. Uh, They're about 1,000 calories apiece. They're made out of flour and sugar. I'm sure they taste terrible because they will last 100 years. But if you'll eat one of these a day, you will survive forever. If you could choke one down, there you go, okay? Now, show us the next picture. So this is my wife's famous cranberry orange sweet roll and so she takes fresh cranberries she takes the zest of oranges and she takes this uh, flour and yeast and lets it rise and puts it all together and bakes it and makes the whole house smell wonderful and then she doesn't let her husband have one Uh, it's a it's a whole experience but 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 let me tell you that the ingredients of the cinnamon roll or the sweet roll and the prepper bar it's basically the same stuff It's just flour and sugar, but the experience is entirely different. The first one, you just choke down to survive. The second one, you savor and hope it never ends. You understand? So when he talks about meditating on God's word, that's different from reading. It's it's not just about, I got to get my two chapters in today, and you get through it as fast as you can. It is about savoring every word that you read to get all of its meaning and all of the richness out of, out of, those, out of those words. We, we need, if we're going to meditate, we have to delight in God's word. We have to reflect on God's word. One thing more that we have to do, we see in verse 2, is we have to supplant something. Uh, if you look back at verse 2, the very first word is the word instead now, what does he mean when he says instead his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates? Well, that, that means there's a contrast here between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 is what some people do. Verse 2 is instead some other people do this. This is something you do in place of verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. How happy is the one... Who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. So some people walk in the advice of wicked. Or stand in the pathway of sinners. That's what some people do. Or sit in the company of mockers. So instead, so meditation is something you do instead of something else. And oftentimes people will say, Pastor, I just don't have time to meditate. You're adding something to my schedule. I don't have time to do something like this. And I've, I've said that. I, I get busy about about things. I, I know Friday, we, uh, Don and I were talking. We were sort of mapping out our day. We were trying to leave town uh, middle of the day to go somewhere. And, and uh, I made my list of all the things I needed to do. And, we, and I mentioned I got to get my devotion in. And I, I didn't know how I was going to get it in. But I had 14 things to do before I left town. And it, it was, sometimes we just feel like we don't have enough time uh, to get uh, to meditation. Well, what we're really saying When we say we don't have enough time, and I'm not trying to just make you feel guilty, but let's just all agree on the reality. When we say we don't have enough time, what we're saying is, I would rather meditate on something else, right? We all have plenty of time. We have plenty of time, but I can say, well, I'm going to meditate. Instead of meditating on God's word, I'm going to meditate on television or, or social media or sports or news or books or something. And, and none of those things are wrong, except that we've, we must understand that meditation, when it's presented in Scripture, is presented as an instead. That means in order to do this, we've got to stop doing something else. Don't think of this, this instruction to meditate for overcoming persistent sins as something you need to add to your life. Think about it as something you need to instead in your life, that you need to replace something in your life. Have you ever tried to talk with somebody that had the earbuds in? You know how frustrating that is and you're talking and they're, they're looking at you and they're nodding. But you know they're not listening to you. They're listening to whatever's going on in those earbuds. What do you want to say? Listen, take those things out of your ear and listen to me. Well, that's what God says in verse 2, Psalm 1-2. He says, take those things out of your ear and listen to me. It needs to be not an add-on. It needs to be an instead. Instead of doing some things, let's meditate on God's word. And this isn't just an issue of time. It's, It's an issue of influence. Let me give a couple of illustrations that might generate a letter or two, but uh, uh, you spend 20 minutes meditating on scripture, and men, you spend 60 minutes watching, dancing with the stars, that probably is not going to help you overcome your persistent sin of lust. Right? If you struggle with that, men, 20 minutes of meditating on God's word, 60 minutes of watching, dancing with stars with your wife, probably... Nope, it's got to be an instead. 20 minutes meditating in scripture and 60 minutes browsing fashion websites is probably not going to help you overcome your greed, materialism, and overspending. And so if we're going to meditate, it's not just something we tack on, it has to be an instead. We supplant the influence of the world with the influence of the word. Now, meditating and overcoming sin. Let me, we, we still had not learned how to do it. We're almost out of time. I'm going to go very quickly. You're going to have to put on your thinking cap. Last week, I mentioned to you John Owen, a, an author who wrote a very famous book on the book of Romans uh, called The Mortification of Sin. And I, I want to tell you about a, a couple of other people that wrote famous books on the book of Romans. One, uh, Thomas Watson, wrote about the same time John Owen wrote, listen to what he said. He, he, the book is called A Divine Cordial, a great book, but, and, and he probably captured the heart of the book of Romans better than anybody else. Uh, he says, meditation is a strong antidote against sin. So if you meditate on scripture, it's an antidote against sin. He goes on to say, most sin com- is committed for a lack of meditation. He said it's his experience studying the book of Romans and his experience as a pastor that most of the sin people commit goes back to the fact that we don't truly meditate on scripture. Let let me tell you quickly, uh, how how do we meditate on scripture? Five things very quickly. Number one, read less to meditate more. I know many people do and many people in our church read through the Bible in a year and I think that's wonderful and I commend you for that and I hope you will continue to do that. But listen to your pastor. Reading the Bible through in a year is not the same as meditating. It's good to read the Bible through in a year, but it is essential that you meditate on scripture. Nobody has enough time to meditate on six chapters a day. Now, if you're going to read it and you're going to reread it and you're going, to, you're going to mumble over it and you're going to think about how every word and every line intersects with your life and what it tells you about the character of God and how it challenges you to live, if you're going to do that, you can't do that with six chapters. You need to read less and meditate more. It is better to read one chapter and meditate on it than to read six chapters and just mark it off your list. That's one of the reasons why every week we give you some daily Bible reading. Now, at the bottom of this sheet that's, on your, that's in your worship guide, there are five days with some assigned reading. I'll tell you a criticism that I've received. Pastor, you're not asking us to read very much. Well, two responses. One is, you can read as much as you wanna read. That's not on me, that's on you. But the other thought is, this is on purpose. I would rather you read 20 verses and process every word of every verse through your soul than to read 100 verses and just mark it off the list. And so I would encourage you, take this, read just the few verses that we assign. On the back, there are some questions that will slow you down and cause you to really begin to think about the verses that you've read this isn't all, perhaps, I mean, you're going to see other things in the scripture passage, but these will at least highlight some things and ask some questions, help you meditate on God's word. Number two, read for application. Uh, James says uh, that we're a fool if we look into a mirror and we see a problem with our appearance and we walk away and we don't do anything about it. We've got some some dirt on our face and we see it and we know that I've got a dirty face, but we don't do anything about it. We just walk away. Well, we would be a fool to do that. Well to look into God's word and not recognize what needs to change in our lives. We're the same kind of fool. So we need to read for application. That's why we've given you these discussion questions every week, discussion questions on the front side. We've given you discussion questions for you to take the Sunday morning message, And really begin to process that in your heart and mind. Use these questions or other resources, read for application. Number three, read aloud. It's interesting, Martin Luther, when he taught people to meditate, he says you cannot do any part of this silently. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's true. The Bible doesn't say that, so we're going to stick with the Bible, not Martin Luther. But I I think it's interesting that one of the great... um, one of the great preachers and theologians of the faith and many since him have said that reading aloud is a key part to meditating. In fact even the word meditation as we learned in verse 2 is a, is a word that refers to making a sound. The good thing about reading the scripture aloud is it slows you down. Right? And meditation is about working slowly through God's word not quickly through God's word. Uh, I, We don't have much time, but let me just take, for instance, uh, Romans 6, 12. Just the first part of that verse uh, says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, we're just going to leave that verse up on the screen a moment. Here's one way you could meditate on that. Say it aloud and emphasize a different word every time. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Why does it say, therefore? Well, there must be something in the preceding verses that make this possible. Therefore, I wonder what it is. Well, it's because in the previous verse, it said, you're dead to sin. So that's why I can do this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not. I recognize this is a command. This is telling me I must not do something. I need to change my conduct. Therefore, do not let sin. And then the next word is the word let. Do not let sin. Do not let sin. That means sin wants to reign in our mortal body. Sin wants to reign in my life. I need to not let it. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It's it's sin that he's talking about. And So I could spend a few moments thinking about the sins that want to reign in my mortal body. Uh, I'll skip forward a little bit. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Well, That tells me that there's another body that's not mortal. One day I'm going to get an immortal mortal body and sin won't reign when I get to heaven thankfully this will all be over and so you, you see you can read this verse emphasizing a different word each time it'll take you five minutes to get through one verse but you're meditating you're chewing you're savoring, you're eating the the orange cranberry cinnamon roll of God's of God's word number four role play tell a friend and this is something I do often paraphrase the verse i'll read a verse and then i'll imagine if i were sitting across the the table from somebody and i had to just look away from scripture and tell them in a sentence what does that verse say and i'll say it in my own words and i struggle to do that sometimes but in my struggle i meditate on scripture i'm trying to figure out well what word would i use and how would i phrase that number five quiz the passage how can i praise god on the basis of this verse. We ought to, every verse, every passage of scripture, every two or three verses maybe, you ought to stop and say, how how does this verse help me to praise God? And then ask this question, what difference does this truth make in my life today? How should my life change because of what I've read? If you'll do that on every verse, you'll meditate on God's word. Now let me give you a homework assignment and then I'll wrap this up. We've looked at Psalm 1, the bad things you can do. Psalm 2, what you should do instead, meditate on God's word, delight, reflect, supplant. But then verse 3, we read it a moment ago. Would you today take verse 3 and meditate on it? Just one verse. I found, and I had planned on sharing this, but we're running, running out of time. I found four things that would happen to me if I meditate on God's word right there in verse three. And how did I find those? I didn't look them up in a commentary. I didn't need to read Hebrew. I I just spent a long time, I just spent five minutes on verse three. And I said it, I read it, and I said it, and I paraphrased it, and I emphasized different words. And I was delighted because I found valuable things that'll happen in my life if I meditate on God's word. Would you go home today, take five minutes, let this be step number one, meditate on verse three, write down four or five things that will happen in your life if you'll meditate on God's word that you learn from this. Now let me sum this up. We all have persistent sins, right? We've all come to that place where we've prayed, Lord, this has got to stop in my life. We've all come to the place where we have made promises that we couldn't keep. This will never happen again and we're frustrated so what do we do well listen the Holy Spirit wants to change you little bit by little bit he wants to help you overcome that sin but he has to have some tools and the first tool the Bible says is investing in meditating in Scripture not just reading it but slowing down and savoring God's word If you and I want to overcome persistent sins, there's no way to do that that doesn't pass through this habit. All the promises, all the tears, all the I will never and I promise and I'm sorry, all that perhaps has some value. But if your path does not take you through meditating in Scripture, it's not going to lead you to real change. Let's be people who glorify God with our lives because we meditate in God's Word. Head bowed, eyes closed. Lord, I, I want to honor you. And I know that every persistent sin in my life limits the honor you receive for my life. Help me overcome persistent sins. Thank you for giving me some tools, and I know it begins with meditation. I pray that the word of God will be sweeter than honey and more valuable than gold to me every day, that you will make it such for me and everybody here now. For your honor and glory, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We. See you